Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Getting a divorce, even thinking about getting a divorce, can be overwhelming, scary, and sometimes exciting. Join divorce coach and mediator Mandy Walker for conversations about divorce. The more you know, the easier it will be to make your divorce healthier, less stressful, and to put it behind you. Here's Mandy. Welcome to Conversations About Divorce. I'm Mandy Walker, and today we're talking about cryptocurrency and divorce. If you've heard the word Bitcoin, then you know something about cryptocurrency. But Bitcoin is only one of these currencies. There are, there are many of them. And Facebook recently announced it's going to launch its own currency, Libra. And so if that happens, then this type of a financial asset is going to become a lot more mainstream. And with that, cryptocurrency is going to be part of more and more divorces. Since it's hard to trace, it's my understanding, it's hard to trace, it's difficult to value and can disappear in an instant, that sounds like trouble. So what do you need to know about cryptocurrency and divorce? Well, my guest today is an expert in this area. He's Paul Sibonik. Paul is with Crypt Forensic Investigators. Welcome, Paul. Uh, nice, nice to be here, Mandy. So, uh, Paul, I'm guessing that cryptocurrency is unfamiliar to lots of my listeners, and I have a, a very surface knowledge about it. So I wondered if you could give us your elevator explanation for what it is. Yes, it's, um, it's a digital asset um, which can be traded um, online. Um, it's the support. These, the uh, the details with regards to supply and how and like everything it's it's governed by code so it's not governed by a central bank or any central entity um, it, it is governed by 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 code and uh, changes could be made to that that code but only if there's a, a consensus um, in terms of agreement but what's really important to know about cryptocurrencies is that um, they are non-custodial in nature um, so they would typically, um, like, like the funds in a, in a bank account, you technically do not have funds in your bank account. It's your bank, it's your bank that holds your funds. And when you own cryptocurrency, you really do own that cryptocurrency just as if, as if you own gold in your pocket. It is yours, uh, and no one can take it uh, um, from you unless they steal, steal it from you. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a digital asset um, that can be traded and transferred to to anyone, um, and it can be a little bit difficult to to trace um, just because there aren't identifiers uh, on there specifically with regards to people's names. Uh, there are just addresses, which just looks like a long string of numbers and, and letters, okay. which uh, leads some people to think of that. Right. So when you say um, it's governed by a code. Is that um, th- is that something like a treaty or an understanding by some key players? Like who writes who um, who agrees to this code? Who negotiates it? 
Um, so that that depends on the asset in question. If we're talking about Bitcoin specifically, um, there was uh, an individual, uh, an anonymous. A lot of times, these individuals are, are anonymous, uh, as was the case with Bitcoin. Uh, an individual by the pseudonym uh, Satoshi Nakamoto um, put forward a, a white paper, which is basically just a proposal for a for um, for, for a currency. Um, he uh, initially was involved in the coding of that project, and uh, m- there have been many additions in terms of code and, and many and many enhancements to that. Uh, ever since he left, uh, he left in uh, I believe it was December 2010 or January 2011. Um, but uh, he kind of just disappeared, um, and no one's heard from him since. But because these projects are decentralized in nature, if someone were to leave or if something happens to a, a key person who's involved in that, there are they and because they're open source, uh, anyone else can just uh, just hop in and, in. Uh, and make additions. Okay. All right. So, um, how would how do you acquire cryptocurrency? Do you actually go ahead and like buy it with your dollars or? Yeah. So there are. Um, exchanges, uh, online exchanges typically are, are the most commonplace people would acquire it. Um, in many ways, these exchanges are very similar to Forex platforms or even a little bit like uh, if you have a discount brokerage that you use online just where you buy stocks. Um, the interface will probably seem somewhat similar to you. Um, yeah, you can. Uh, you you would typically wire transfer uh, funds um, to bank accounts owned by these cryptocurrency exchanges, or you can, in some cases you can use a credit card, uh, and people would typically purchase from an exchange. But there are other ways. That's just the most common. And then, if I have holdings in cryptocurrency, can I? Um, I can sell them or trade them in to get dollars back, or. Do people actually accept cryptocurrencies, like if I wanted to buy a car or a boat or something? Yes. Um, so yes, you can trade it. You can trade it back in for dollars. You can trade it for other cryptocurrency assets. Um, you can um, uh, you can trade it for something similar to something called a stable coin, which is basically what Libra is is doing. If you want something more stable, uh, in terms of trading it for goods and services, yes, that is possible. Um, not all merchants accept uh, accept that. Obviously, that's one of the challenges with um, new emerging current uh, currencies in, in, in general. Is that uh, yeah, like non major currencies are not accepted. So merchants typically want to have a quick fire way to be able to convert that uh, the cryptocurrency that that they would receive uh, into their local currency. Um, but yes, there are some car dealerships that will accept cryptocurrency. Um, um, it's not super common yet, but it, it will probably be more common in the future. Right. Wow. So um, what is the motivation then to acquire cryptocurrency? It sounds like it's, it's a bit like you mentioned um, if you were buying your own stocks, it's a bit like making an investment and trying to um, get your, your betting on um, those values going up. Um, it also sounds like you could hide that from the IRS so you wouldn't get taxed on it yes yes uh so there's a variety of reasons um the first is just um uh, speculation um you know um just like with uh 
um, just like with the dot-com boom or, or things like that, people, you know, people sometimes think cryptocurrencies are the way of the future because they can be transferred so much quicker, so much cheaper, lack of intermediaries. Uh, you, can, you don't have to wait a, wait a week to transfer funds to you know, somewhere in, uh, in Zimbabwe. It can happen in seconds. Um, so so people, a lot of people do, do like to speculate on the price. Uh, the second, uh, and probably perhaps the biggest, uh, biggest reason cryptocurrencies, uh, people invest in cryptocurrencies, is as a store of value. And um, now that might sound a little bit um, odd given, given the fluctuation in value, but um, some people like to get involved in cryptocurrency because they realize that over time, um, government-backed currencies, uh, which are sometimes referred to as, as fiat, uh, fiat currencies, um, people lose their money through, through, infl- through inflation of the money supply. Right. Um, so they see, it as, they see it as a form of taxation. And by having a cryptocurrency which has a fixed supply um, where it cannot be printed arbitrarily uh, and thereby decreasing the value, um, people see that as a better, a better store value because it, it can't, you know, a government cannot print it, um, um, like, just off of off a whim. Now, of course, in the United States, you know, it, it's printed, but, you know, if you hold your money in U.S. dollars for a, for a, for a year, it's not going to decrease that much come year two. But over 50 years, uh, yeah, it will decrease considerably. Um, of course, that's not nearly as bad as countries like Venezuela, but, you know, people don't always live in countries as, as nice as, uh, you know, uh, where they have uh, currencies as stable as the, as the United States. Um, the third reason uh, people sometimes invest in cryptocurrency, um, I, I would say, is if they, if they do want to, um, yeah, like, I guess, I guess hiding assets or if they want to be able to uh, really own their own money and not be, and, and not have, um, and, and not be subject to getting permission from a bank. Um, I've personally had a lot of banking problems myself. I know a lot of other people have as well where, you know, banks freeze funds arbitrarily and people are, you know, sometimes get sick of that and they want to be able to, to spend their money when they want to spend it. Um, so, um, yeah, just having, 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 being able to have custody of your own money along with, uh, in some cases, yes, people do want to, to hide uh, to hide it as well, um, you know, whether it's from the IRS, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, um, I, I, it obviously, like, it, 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 we are, we do find it happen in divorce cases, but I don't think it's too, too common yet, but it's probably going to be more common in the future. Okay. So did, is there um, a profile of a person who's most likely to hold cryptocurrency? Uh, yes. Um you know, usually, you know, younger people who are a little bit more uh, technologically savvy uh, tend to tend to do that. Uh, I, I know in in my own case, I was not a, I've never been a developer or coder, and I I initially thought, oh, this is something just for you know, um, you know, people, you know, com- uh, co- computer nerds, computer nuts, things things like that. And it's not really uh, as as technical as you might believe. But um, yeah, it's you know people you do have to know how to be able to use a computer. Um, um, so usually people who are a little bit more tech, 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 technologically savvy, um, people who are a little bit more willing to uh, risk things. Um, so I, I guess it does have uh, like a demographic 
in terms of people who have a large amount, you know, it's more often that they're white, male, um, under 40. But, uh, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's, many, there's many people who hold these assets, you know, in countries where they don't have access to a stable currency. Uh, they might not have a, a massive amount of it, but um, uh, at least in the United States and, and Canada, yeah, pe- people who are, who are younger, uh, more often male, tend to have, have larger holdings in cryptocurrency. Okay, so if I um, if my spouse was fitted that profile, or had mentioned to me that they at some point that they had some cryptocurrency, and I'm thinking of divorce, are there, are there steps that I should take now before I talk to them about divorce that I could use later to prove it? Yeah. So what you what you might want to do is you might want to ask them up front if they have any any you know if what they think about cryptocurrency you know and then eventually you can get on the path that they if they own any if they if they track if they you know if they've used it before um you know you don't really want to ask someone you know hey how much cryptocurrency do you hold like people don't just like people don't want to disclose their bank account balance um so you know you want to see if you know what their level of knowledge is with it um and see and see if they uh you know see if they might have invested in that. Um, I, I wouldn't, um, yeah, you can really only go so far, but, um, yeah, like what you can ultimately, what you can ultimately do and what it ultimately comes down to is, is, uh, we would tend to look at bank account statements and things like that to see if they've really invested and where they've invested. And, uh, um, that's, that's one thing that, 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 that can be done. But, um, if if I had access, say we had a joint bank account, and what would that what would a transaction to a tri- cryptocurrency exchange look like? Yeah, so if you're dealing with large amounts, um, it, it would probably would not be done by credit card. Uh, people who use credit cards to buy cryptocurrencies um, tend to be tend to be investing smaller amounts under a thousand dollars. Right. But you'd be looking for uh, outgoing wire transfers would be the main thing. Okay. But you know it could also be it could also be a, a um, it could also be done through a um, uh, you know through another bank account, or you know it could have been done through through cash. It's possible to transfer um, to to buy cryptocurrency in in person. In fact, I've I've sold cryptocurrency in in person to other people. And they give me cash, and that's one of the more uh, anonymous ways of doing that. So if if, uh, if for some reason um, there's you know five thousand dollars missing, um, uh, or that was withdrawn, or five thousand dollars that should have gone and deposited uh, and isn't there, you know that could be an indication of that. Right. Wow. And so when I asked you before about what's the motivation to acquire cryptocurrency. Um, because you can get it in cash, you could use it for money laundering too. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's the main use for it. Um, uh, I think uh, in the past, um, you know, Bitcoin has a reputation, um, or I should say some people think it's, it's you know, used for drugs. And indeed, that was one of the main uses uh, back when something called the Silk Road existed, which was um, a, a dark net market, uh, primarily for drugs and, and some other things. But um by by and large the vast majority of transactions that that occur are 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 legal um it, it's predominantly used yes as a store of value i would say and a, a, 
and speculation and and just because people are are fed up or a little bit fed up with the monetary system and uh, you know government's always running deficit uh, government's always running deficits and right. essentially stealing money right so right. Um, it's about, it's about taking control of your own of your own money uh, being your own bank um, and. Uh, that, that entails responsibilities because when you lose access to your cryptocurrency funds, if you lose it in the event of a hack or something like that, um, you don't get reimbursed, um, you know, even if it wasn't really your fault. So there's, um, there's, 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 yeah. there's no FDIC insurance on this? Oh, no, 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 <laughs> most, most certainly not. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, Paul, I have lots more questions for you, but... Right now, we're going to take a short break. Okay, great. You're listening to Conversations About Divorce, and today we're talking about cryptocurrency and divorce. My guest is Paul Sibenik with Crypt Forensic Investigators. And Paul, I am curious, how did you get into this line of work? Um, well, initially I got involved in, in the cryptocurrency space because uh, I was just very interested in it. I had banking issues. I felt, um, you know, um, I, I I just had a lot of a lot of issues with all the middlemen and all the permission I needed to get to to to, to transfer funds and move money and and travel and all sorts of things. So that got me interested in it. Uh, interested enough that I wanted to work full time in it. And then I started doing that. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I I started working for a company in the space. Uh, one of the things I, I did was some some fraud detection and analytics for them. Um, as part of as part of my as part of what I was doing, I uh, didn't comprise the majority of my time there, but uh, I eventually started to get more more and more interested with um, um, you know uh, like uh, analytics and forensic analysis with this kind of stuff. And the, the thing is, the you know the information that we use is not proprietary. It's not um, you know you can learn to do forensic tracking for yourself. There's no uh, there's no uh, barrier to entry if that makes makes sense because we access public records. But it's you know when you combine a certain amount of knowledge with with those public records, you can figure out a lot more about uh, identity, ownership, um, how funds are moving from one from, from some addresses and wallets to others, and um, right. Yeah. So ultimately, I'm self-taught as pretty much uh, everyone in those spaces. Uh, there's no real. Uh, university courses or anything like that 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 teach people uh, sufficiently about this space right now. Everyone really is self-taught. Well, it seems like it's such an emerging technology and an emerging field that it would. Oh it, yeah, it would any, have, any, have to any be course would be would be, at, would be obsolete within months. You know. So, <laughs> yeah. And Paul, for our listeners, could you give our listeners your website address? Yeah. Uh, it's https uh, colon uh, uh, backslash backslash uh, cryptforensic dot com uh, um, c r y p t f o r e n s i c dot com. That's great, thank you. So um, before the break, we were talking about how I might go about seeing if my spouse had um, cryptocurrency before we were getting divorced. But let's start fast forward and say. Um, the divorce is actually in full swing, and I'm assuming the um, almost every state in the U.S. requires financial disclosures by both parties in the divorce. The, 
if you hold cryptocurrency, you are obligated to disclose that, are you not? Uh, yes, yes, you are, at least in the United States. Uh, it's, tr it's treated as property in the United States. Um, and, you know, different countries treat it differently. But, yes, you are obligated to, to disclose that. And indeed, you're required to disclose that when you uh, uh, submit your uh, affidavit of, uh, you know, with your assets and, uh, and liabilities. And so let's say I, I knew that my spouse had cryptocurrency and I got their financial disclosure and it wasn't disclosed. Um, what do I do then? How do I go back then and try and prove that it existed? Or, you know, how do I go about and try and find it? Yeah. Um, Is that when I call you? Um, yes. Yes. Well, the, the answer is me. But... Um, <laughs> what you what you really want to do is you really want to try and get an idea of, of you know how much you know how much is is that is that take here um, because we deal with cases where there's millions of dollars in uh, you know in unclaimed assets in cryptocurrency uh, and people have you know a large incentive incentive to not to want to report that if you know in the event of a very bitter divorce where uh, you know the one spouse doesn't really doesn't want the other the other spouse to get any money. Um, and things like that. That's not the majority of cases, but um, you want to make sure it's it's. You want to try to get an idea of you know how much unclaimed assets there are. Because if it's just five hundred or a thousand dollars worth of cryptocurrency assets, it's it's not going to be worth the time of going through that. Um, so you know, ultimately, you probably want to do a little bit of investigation yourself to see um, if funds are you know went went missing over the years. If so, when um, if they if they went if they went missing fairly recently, um, you know how much how much went went missing because typically uh, the earlier someone invested uh, in this in this asset class, if they invest in 2013, uh, their portfolio value has likely increased considerably more than if they invested uh, two or three years ago. Um, so you, you just want to get an idea of you know how much um, yeah. Like how how much of how much unclaimed cryptocurrency assets there could be. Um, ultimately, what would need to happen is if you think there's a you know a decent amount of unclaimed assets uh, or or that that were hidden and not properly properly disclosed, um, you may want to contact uh, either contact the individual um, uh, or your your exposed directly just to see if it was a simple misunderstanding or if they just if they just forgot. Um, if you don't think that's the case, uh, a better option is ultimately to to consult a lawyer, um, and that's ultimately what you would need to do. Um, we do work with uh, in conjunction with lawyers in order to be able to uh, track such hidden assets. Um, and if, if well, like most lawyers wouldn't know at this point, most lawyers wouldn't know how to track it, so they. Yeah. Is working with a lawyer, they're going to um, contract with an expert on finding it, like such as yourself. Yes. So uh, I, I'll I'll tell you a bit about how we work with with lawyers because most lawyers that we work with uh, don't really know anything about cryptocurrency either. Um, so basically, um, because uh, wallet wallet addresses and and uh, and and what 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 are known are public addresses don't have identifiers on them, we have to find a way to identify the owners of such addresses um, through other means. And the main way we do that is 
by working with cryptocurrency exchanges. Um, because typically you have to provide your identity in order to um, work with that cryptocurrency exchange and buy off of that platform. What we would do is we'd work with lawyers uh, in order to issue subpoenas to the cryptocurrency exchanges that uh, the individual dealt with. Um, and therefore we can um, find out, but once the subpoena has been issued, uh, the exchange would turn over their uh, trading data, uh, deposit and withdrawal data as well. And okay. from there, from based on their withdrawal data, we can uh, deduce logically what um, what addresses that they own, and we can track to see how how funds have moved if they've moved to other exchanges. Um, um, you know, if they've uh, traded it for you know assets other than Bitcoin, for example. Some have gone up much higher in value uh, relative to Bitcoin, whereas others have gone to zero. Um, so we can see ultimately we can we we now have an identifier to, to see oh this address belongs to a certain individual and because um, it, it's it's a common misconception that um, blockchains are difficult to trace and that's not necessarily true it's just that they are um, it, it's actually quite it's actually quite transparent. It's just not, um, and. Uh, but I think you need to have some yeah. technical knowledge to be able to do it. Oh, like, oh most certainly. Oh, most, 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 most certainly. Yeah, it, it's just it, it, it is it is quite transparent. It's just because it's somewhat anonymous. You, you know, people people associate that pseudo pseudonymity, sorry, uh, pseudonymity with not being transparent and trackable. And it is very trackable. In right. fact, it's much more trackable than, uh, you know, existing financial assets. It's just, it, it doesn't have those identifiers and names on them. So, so well, it's, it's like, it's, it's um, different than what we're used to. Um, I want to go back when you talk about the currency exchanges and being able to subpoena them. I'm assuming, I mean, that would apply if they're in the U S if they're outside the U S I would think that you're, Probably out of luck. Um, so, I, I have a couple things to say to that. Um, first of all, a lot, of, a lot of the major exchanges, you know, want to work with regulators and they want to work with the, with an existing legal system. They don't want to get in trouble. Um, you know, ultimately, um, you know, it's in their incentive to to try and comply. Otherwise, it's just it's it's a headache for them. It's a headache for um, you know. You know these, these. You know potentially the owners of these cryptocurrency exchanges. Uh, you know can be banned from travel to the United States. Things like that. But I would say. Okay. But 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 um, I would say also, um, people who fund with U.S. dollars typically would use actually a U.S.-based exchange, and that's because a lot of the other exchanges don't accept U.S. dollars. Um, okay. So most exchanges which accept uh, U.S. dollar deposits are based in the United States. And I can tell you some of their names. Uh, they include Coinbase. They include Gemini. They include ITBit, Bittrex. They're all U.S.-based. And, um, um, you know, uh, we haven't had issues getting subpoenas from, uh, or I should say, we okay. haven't had any issues getting uh, getting trading data, uh, trading data handed over to us from them. Great. So um, we're kind of getting close on time here, but I have a, a big um, area that I want us to get to. I want us to hear your expertise. So let's say that my soon-to-be ex has disclosed the cryptocurrency. 
what is the best strategy for dealing with that in divorce? Uh, can you be a little bit more specific? Um, like, well, yes, yes. So, um, should I be be looking to take half of that? Should I be looking to um, establish a value as, as a certain date and take equivalent assets? Yeah. So, <laughs> this because the assets are volatile themselves. Um, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be fair to 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 you know. Peg, peg the value, okay, this is what the value at was, was at this date, and then if the value declines by 50%, you still ex- ex- expect to take 50% of that original value, uh, and therefore they have no cryptocurrency left. You know, uh, it's, it's such a volatile asset class that it, it wouldn't necessarily be, be fair to, to take that. Um, you know, there's no one correct way when it comes to valuing, um, you know, like, like, like dealing with this, this type of asset class because you're having to to set a value with it, but generally you, you would uh, something reasonable to do would be to say, hey, you know, I want to take possession of you know 50% of the assets, or a custodian can take possession of 50% of it, um, and then I would get 50% of the liquidated value, um, whatever that happens to be. Um, that that way, because you know, because these these discussions will take some lot, will, will take quite some time. Uh, it's just not really fair to try to set a value, uh, you know, for something that's going to change significantly over the next three to six months. All right. So if you split the actual currency holding 50-50 or whatever percentage it is, then you're both bearing the the performance risk and you could both do better or you could both do do worse. And then you're saying, you know, I could I could take it. And then if I really decide I don't like cryptocurrency, I don't know enough about it to be able to to want it in my portfolio, I can sell it and trade it in, and then that is up to me. Yeah, um, ultimately, I'm not familiar with how you know with with the laws in all in all jurisdictions. So again, it's a good idea to consult a to consult a, consult a lawyer. But the same with applies with you know other other assets um, in in divorce is that you would want to try and you know put a value on it. Um, and if you're not comfortable dealing with cryptocurrency yourself. Uh, it's possible you may be able to get the spouse to to to, 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 to liquidate a portion of that uh, uh, for, uh, for right. you based on the live price at that exact time. Um, you don't really right. want to set a price um, in advance or try to backdate something six months. Um, it's just not fair um, many cases to do that. Um, there are custodians that can that can offer that type of service as well. Um, it's not one that we offer, um, but um, um, yeah, you, ultimately you'd. Uh, and and of course, you know you, you you would want to try and make sure that um, you do believe all the cryptocurrency holdings are are disclosed. Um, if you believe you know uh, the expos uh, has you know tens of millions and they've maybe disclosed a hundred thousand worth, you know um, you know there's obviously a significant amount of room there still. So you right. never really know right. when all you know what where where all the assets are. If that makes sense. <laughs> Well, Paul, we're up on time today, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. This is a fascinating topic, and I think we're going to see be seeing a lot more about cryptocurrencies in divorce. I, I agree. <laughs> so, listeners, my guest today is Paul Sibnik with Crypt Forensic Investigators. Paul's website is cryptforensic.com. 
do check it out, especially if you if you hold cryptocurrencies or you think that your soon-to-be ex will does. Um, to me, it's a whole other world. If you think or you know that your spouse has holdings in cryptocurrencies, you're going to want to bring in an expert or a professional who is familiar with it. Whether you're planning for full legal representation or an a la carte consult, when you're interviewing the attorney, you'll want to ask them about their experience dealing with this. As we talked about, it might be hard to find somebody with the experience and in which case you're going to want to consult someone like Paul Sibnick, my guest. Do it sooner rather than later. You can call me a cynic. I prefer to be called a realist, but your soon-to-be ex may be banking on your ignorance and that is going to cost you. Thank you for listening today. If you hop over to my blog, SinceMyDivorce.com, you'll find a synopsis of this conversation and you can follow me at SinceMyDivorce on Twitter and on Facebook. And I hope you'll join us again next time for more conversations about divorce.